to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. Heads and we will pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you, Lord, for that awesome worship service. Thank you, Lord, that we get to feel your presence, that we get to entertain your audience. Lord, I ask that you would tailor this message, make it specific and intimate to every individual under the sound of my voice. Empower, enable, and strengthen me to deliver this message as you have delivered it to me. Lord, I take no ownership or authorship or credit because I know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Andy, you're about to leave the sanctuary. Josh has already fled the sanctuary. I need him for an illustration. I don't know what he's doing. i got to push him off the back of the stage. Okay. For those of you who have no idea, you've not been to church the last couple weeks. But we are on a series that is entitled Trusting God. So for the last three weeks, we have been talking about trusting God. Today, I want to preach for a few minutes from a message entitled, God Loves You. Just to forewarn you, some of you have already heard some of the things that I'm going to say today. Because one of the staples of the ministry God has given me is to make clear what it really means for God to love us. To make clear what God means when He says He loves us. To show people that it is unlike the type of love that we communicate toward other people. That it is so much greater than the images we conjure up when we say, I love you. Or we hear somebody say, I love you. So I want to preach for a few minutes from the subject, God loves you. Josh, come on up. Glad you could make it back into the sanctuary. He had to blow his nose. Couldn't do that before service. Listen, we was raised in a church where you blew your nose, you went to the bathroom, you threw everything away before service because mom played those drums. And all she had to do is point one of those drumsticks at us and the fear of God come over us. We hit our knees and started to pray because we know unless he was a way maker, we would die that night. This is before nursery and children's church. Believe me, I thank God for nursery and children's church. But we didn't have those things when we were growing up. We sit in the front seat and mom threatened us about 70 times throughout service. But, going back to what I was saying, I'm preaching about uh, God's love. And we've been in a series about trusting God. Now, Josh, I want you to look me in the eye. I want you to trust me enough to do exactly as I say. Because if you don't, you're going to get hurt. I want you to do exactly as I say, and I want you to fall backwards. If Josh is going to do what I'm asking him to do, 
He has to believe that there's something happening that he can't see. He has to believe that there's something happening that he doesn't know about. He has to believe that there's something happening that he's not aware of or that he hasn't accounted for. If Josh is going to fall off this stage consciously, deliberately, purposely, it won't be because he understands what's happening or what will happen. It'll be because he trusts me. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord. In the Lord. You're not trusting in your perception of the situation. You're trusting in the person of the Lord. If Josh is going to trust me, there has to be two things that he's convinced of. Number one, he has to be convinced that I'm in control of this situation. He has to be convinced that I'm in control even though there's going to be moments where things feel out of control. The second thing he has to be convinced of is that I care about him, that I love him. It's not enough for him to believe that I'm in control if he doesn't believe that I love him. And it's not enough for him to believe that I love him if he doesn't believe that I'm in control. The only way that he will ever fully trust me is if he believes I'm in control and I love him. The same thing is true with us and God. It's not enough for you to believe God is in control. It's not enough for you to believe that God is powerful if you don't believe that God will use His power to intervene on your behalf. It's not enough. It's not enough to believe that God is in control. you got to believe that He loves you as well. It's not enough to believe that God loves you. If you don't believe He's in control then his love cannot impact your life. So if we're going to trust God, we got to believe that he's in control and that he loves us. Last week we talked about him being in control. This week we're going to talk about him loving us. Again, if Josh is going to fall backwards, he has to believe that I'm in control. He has to believe that I love him. And the same is true with us and God. If we're going to fully trust God, and when I say trust God, I mean we sleep in the middle of the storm. I'm talking about being secure when you're in the middle of adversity. I'm talking about having peace in the middle of the problem. If we're going to fully trust God, we have to believe that he's in control and we have to believe that he loves us. Now, in all honesty, there are times when it's hard for me to believe that God loves me. It's hard for me to believe that God loves me for two reasons. Number one is my situation or circumstance. At times, it's hard for me to reconcile the fact that God loves me with the fact that I'm going through what I'm going through. It's hard sometimes for me to believe that God loves me and I just got laid off. That God loves me and I was just diagnosed with a serious illness. That God loves me and my spouse just cheated. That God loves me but my parents left me. That God loves me but everything in my life is falling apart. It's hard for me to reconcile those two truths. The second reason why it's hard for me to believe that God loves me is because I often view His love through the lens of my own personal performance. I have failed so many times. I have missed the mark so many times. I have come up short so many times. I have stumbled 
So many times I've made so many mistakes that it's hard for me to comprehend how God can love somebody like me. It's hard for me to convince myself that God still loves me after the 1,000th time that I messed it up. After the 1,000th time that I blew it, after sabotaging my own success and letting everybody down, it's hard sometimes for me to convince myself that God loves me. Nevertheless, if we're ever going to learn how to trust God, we have to believe that He loves us. And in order to believe that God loves us, we have to understand one important thing. We have to understand that God's love is consistent. We have to understand that God's love is consistent. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 8. One of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Come on, give the Lord some praise. You should never go to church so long that the death of Christ doesn't do something, doesn't have an impact, doesn't revoke a response in you. God showed us his great love by sending Christ to die for us. But when? When did he send Christ to die for us? 2,000 years ago? Yes. But he sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This one verse tells us that God loved us in our worst condition, in our most extensive mess. God loved us when we were undesirable, unattractive, unappealing. God loved us when we were prideful and arrogant, when we were stubborn and greedy. God loved us when nobody else liked us. God loved us when we couldn't stand ourselves. I want you to think about the worst thing you feel like you've ever done in your life. And then I want you to finish this sentence. God loved me when? God loved me when? God loved me when I was living a double life. God loved me when I was sleeping around. God loved me when the needle was still in my arm. God loved me when I was drinking myself to death. God loved me when I was full of myself, greedy and jealous. God loved me when nobody else around me liked me. God loved me when I despised my own reflection. God loved me then. God didn't love what I was doing. Don't get it twisted. Don't use this to justify sin. God didn't love what I was doing. But God can differentiate between the sin and the sinner. He didn't love what I was doing. But God loved me. God loved us while we were still sinners. Let me break this down for you. This means that His love for us was not motivated by our words or actions. If it, was, if it was there when we were sinners, then it means His love wasn't motivated by our words or actions. It wasn't about what we did, what we accomplished, what we obtained, what we achieved. It wasn't motivated by our words or actions. If God's love wasn't motivated by our words or actions, then what was it based on? It was based on His own personal choice. In John 15, 16, Jesus said, You didn't choose me, 
but I chose you. God chose us before we chose him. Why is this significant? It's significant because if God's love was dependent on our words and actions, then it would increase and decrease with our success and failure. Meaning there would be times where God loved me more and there would be times where God loved me less. But because God's love is based on His choice and because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, His love for us remains consistent. So God's love for you never, somebody say never. God's love for you never reduces or diminishes. This means God loves you as much right now as He ever has or ever will. God loves you as much right now as He ever has. Do you believe that? He loves you as much right now as He did before the divorce. He loves you as much right now as He did before the addiction. He loves you as much right now as He did before the relapse. He loves you as much right now as He did before you messed everything up. God loves you as much right now as He ever has or ever will. He loves you as much right now as He will after you get it together. He loves you as much right now as He will after you succeed, after you start a ministry, after you lead hundreds or thousands of people to the cross. God loves you as much right now as He ever has or ever will. That's what I mean when I say God's love is consistent. You can trust God because His love for you is consistent. But why? Why is God's love consistent? It's consistent because it's not performance-based. God's love is, is not performance-based. Natural, carnal, fleshly love is often performance-based. This is why there are some people in your environment that the moment you don't live up to their expectations, they'll withdraw their affection. The moment you don't say what they want you to say, the moment you don't give what they want you to give, the moment you don't do what they want you to do, the moment you don't show up when they want you to show up, the moment you don't join what they want you to join, they immediately withdraw their text messages, their emails, their phone calls, their friendship, and their affection. They're not in love with you as a person. They're in love with you as a performer. They're in love with you as a provider. It's not about you. It's about what you have and what you can do and what what you can give and what you can contribute. I'd rather you not love me at all than for me to have to earn it. If you don't love me, choose to love me. If not, keep on walking. Jesus told us to love our enemies. What was he saying? He's saying you should be able to love people when that love is not performance-based. Your enemy's not going to give you a reason to love them. you got to choose to do it. Jesus experienced performance-based love many times throughout his ministry. When Jesus was passing out bread and fish, People came from all over the region. Some 15,000 people scoured the hillsides in order to hear Jesus speak. But when he said or did something that didn't fit into their preconceived notion of who he should be, these same people packed their bags 
and went home. Another example, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, there was a crowd of people lined up on both sides of the street saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Yet don't let their compliments and cheers fool you. These people were not in love with Jesus the person. They were in love with Jesus the provider, Jesus the performer. So as long as Jesus aligned with their expectations, they cheered. But the moment he deviated from what they expected him to do, they criticized, which is why the same group of people can be observed just a few days later crying out, crucify him. What I want you to understand is performance-based love is manipulative. It says, give me what I want or else. Do what I want you to do or else. Say what I want you to say or else. Post what I want you to post or else. And you know who the worst people in the world are for loving others based on performance? The church. The church. Let an open homosexual come into this place and some of you get awkward. I don't know whether I should shake their hand or not. I don't know whether I should smile or not. I don't know if I should say thank you for coming or leave. Why? Because you're afraid that you can't show them love. And the reason you're afraid you can't show them love is because your love is tied to performance. See, if, if you take performance out of the equation, I can love anybody because it's more about my choice than it is your action. I can love you even when you're mean. I can love you when you're cruel. I can love you when you despitefully use me. I can love you when you mistreat me because it's not about your actions. It's about my choice. I wish the church would get back to true agape love and that's love based on choice. I choose to love you. With all your scars, all your wounds, all your brokenness, all your issues, all your damage, all your history, all your reputation, I choose to love you. When everybody else leaves, I choose to love you. See, God's love is not performance-based because performance-based love is manipulative. It's manipulative. And that's why God's love will never be performance-based. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River? Look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. How many want to be up under open heavens? The Bible said that he'll open the window of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. And I'm not trying to get off topic for a minute, but let me tell you this. I'd rather have the access than the blessing. Because you can't open a window that's already open. So when God said he's opening a window, he said, I'm going to give you access to something that you've never had access to before. I'm going to let you experience something that was cut off before. I'm going to let you experience something that you were separated from before. So Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water and the heavens are opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to pay attention to the last line of that. God the Father spoke 
from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father was pleased with Jesus. The only problem was Jesus hadn't done anything yet. Jesus hadn't preached his first message. Jesus had not healed anyone. Jesus had not fed the multitude. Jesus hadn't displaced a demon. Jesus hadn't started his ministry. At this period of time, there's nothing we could point to and say this is what earned the affection of the Father. The reason for this is because the Father's affection is not earned. God said what he said to show us his love predated the son's work. The father's love wasn't based on performance. It was based on position. He loved the son because the son was his. It's the same reason I love my four-year-old son. If I'm being honest, my four-year-old son has not accomplished much in his life. He still wears a pull-up to bed. He can't comb his hair. He can't brush his teeth. He can't dress himself. He can't ride a bicycle without training wheels yet. He doesn't sweep. He doesn't mop. He doesn't do dishes. He doesn't do laundry. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't make any money. He's not earned a degree. He's never won a trophy. He's never won an award. But I love him in a way that I could never express in words. Why do you love him so much? Because he's my son. That's the only reason I need. He's my son. It's not about what he does or doesn't do, what he'll accomplish, what he'll achieve, what he'll become, what he'll obtain. It's not about any of that. If he never does anything with his life, I'm going to love him because he is my son. It's not about performance. It's not about performance. It's about position. And you know what? God's love for us is the exact same way. Look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was convinced, Paul was persuaded that nothing would ever keep God from loving him. Nothing, no trial, no struggle, no battle, no crisis, no tragedy, no failure, no flaw, no mistake. Paul said, I'm persuaded that nothing will ever keep God from loving me. But why was Paul so secure in God's love for him? It wasn't because Paul had always made the right choices and decisions. It wasn't because Paul was perfect. Did you know that Paul was essentially a terrorist before his conversion experience? Paul hunted down Christians, threw them in jail, and did his best to have them executed. He actually stood by and held the coats of the men that stoned Stephen. Paul went as far as to label himself as the chief of sinners. So Paul wasn't secure in, his, in God's love for him because he had always made the right choices and decisions because he was perfect. Neither 
was Paul securing God's love for him because he had a comfortable, easy, perfect life? Let me tell you what happened to Paul after he got saved. After he surrendered to Jesus. Okay, The Bible says he was beaten with rods three separate times. He was whipped with 39 stripes five separate times. He was stoned with rocks, not drugs. It took you a minute, but you got it. You got it. You're a little drowsy. He was threatened by 40 people who took a vow that, and said they wouldn't eat anything until they had killed him. He was lost at sea, he was shipwrecked, he was bit by a serpent, he was often without clothing and shelter, he was often without food and water. So you tell me why someone who had went through all of that, someone who had suffered setback after setback, crisis after crisis, trial after trial, would be so convinced that nothing would ever keep God from loving him. You tell me why anyone who had made the mistakes Paul had made and went through the hell that Paul went through would be so confident that God would always love them. The reason that Paul was secure in God's love is because he understood God's love is based on position, not performance. Look again at Romans chapter 8, verse 39, 38 and 39. You got it back there? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Where is the love of God? The love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for us is in Christ. Just as God's love for Jesus will never waver, so his love for us will never waver. Why? Because God doesn't look within us for a reason to love us. He loves us because we are in Christ. God does not look within us for a reason to love us. He loves us because we are in Christ. God's love is based on position, not performance. The conclusion of all of this is that no matter what has happened, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, it is an undisputable fact that God loves you. Why does He love us? Because we're His. So last week I told you God, God is in control. If we believe fully that God is in control and that he loves us, then we'll trust him. It's not enough to believe one of those things. We have to believe both of them, which is why the enemy is actively trying to convince us that if God was in control and he loved us, we wouldn't be in the circumstance that we're in. If God was in control, you'd have never went through that. If God loved you, you'd have never had to face that. If God was in control, he'd have done something. If God loved you, he'd give you the desires of your heart. The enemy is trying to produce distrust in our relationship with the Lord by convincing us that if God loved us and he was in control, we wouldn't be in the circumstance that we're in. 
In complete fairness, there are times in which I don't understand how God can love me and be in control and then allow me to go through what I'm going through. Sometimes my mind cannot reconcile those things, how God can be in control and love me, but then sit by and allow me to go through what I'm going through. But I refuse to let what I can't understand cause me to doubt what I know to be true. For example, some of you may know how, but I don't understand how to... You guys got to be quicker back there. All right. I don't understand how to solve the equation on the screen. Less than 1% of people can do it. But you know what? I know 2 plus 2 is 4. And it would be counterproductive for me to let my lack of understanding in solving this equation cause me to begin to doubt what I know to be true. 2 plus 2 is still 4. Even if I don't understand this, Two plus two is still four. Even if it confuses me and I don't know how it mixes up the alphabet and the numbers and, and I don't know anything about this, two plus two is still four. I'm not going to let what I can't understand cause me to doubt what I know to be true. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. I don't know why I have to face what I'm facing. I don't know why I feel the stress that I feel. I don't know why I'm battling anxiety the way that I am. I don't know why nothing ever works out the way I expected it to. But I know God is in control and I know He loves me. And if I hang on to what I know to be true, then I'll be able to trust God even when I can't understand. So if you come today looking for a reason, an explanation, for why you're going through what you're going through. You're not going to find it. Sometimes we're not going to understand. But we can't let what we don't understand cause us to begin to doubt what we've always known to be true. God is in control and He loves us. Amen? Give the Lord some praise. Come on up to the music. So if you're here today and you're lost, I got some good news. Jesus loves you. There's more. Jesus loves you and there's nothing you can ever do to cause him to love you any more than he already does. But pastor, what if I get saved today? If God had not loved us, before salvation, then we would never have an opportunity to experience salvation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. If God had not loved an unsaved world, none of us would have a path toward salvation. Jesus loves you right now as much as he ever will. Jesus loves you so you can trust him. You can trust him enough to put your entire life in his hands, which is what I want to give you the opportunity to do. Some of you may be thinking, though, if Jesus loves me as much right now as he ever will, then why do I need to come at all? Because one directional love isn't a relationship. Jesus loves you. But if you don't return the love you've received, there is no relationship. When Carrie 
first laid eyes on this handsome man before you back in 2005 as she glided down the hallways of James A. K. Wood High School. She instantly fell head over heels for me. She did. She had it bad. Because I was a stud back then. Not so much now, but I was a stud back then. And if she would have fell in love with me, but I had not returned the love I received, we'd have never started dating. We'd have never got married. This ministry wouldn't exist. See, she could have loved me with the greatest love ever known to man. But if I had not returned the love I received, there wouldn't be a relationship. I'm telling you Jesus loves you. I'm telling you that's going to be true no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what you go through. If you split hell wide open, it won't be because Jesus didn't love you. Jesus loves you. But see, heaven and hell is not decided by who Jesus loves. Heaven and hell is decided by who you love. Jesus has already demonstrated his love for you by dying on the cross while you were still a sinner. The question is, do you love him? Because if you don't return the love you've received, there won't be a relationship. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can't know him. And if you don't know him, the last words you'll ever hear him say is, depart from me, I never knew you. But listen, if you go to hell, it won't be because Jesus didn't love you. It'll be because you didn't love him. So what I'm asking you today is not, does Jesus love you? I'm asking, do you love him? If you've been impacted by the love of Jesus, and you want to return the love that you've received, and you want to begin a relationship with Him today, then I invite you to come to this altar and confess your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive the sacrifice that He has made on your behalf. Jesus is extending His arm. The question is, will you reach back? Reach back. Reach back. This is your moment. If you're here today and you're saved, I know that at times situations and circumstances challenge our belief that God is in control and that He loves us. And you're not going to always know why you're going through what you're going through. But in those moments, don't focus on what you want God to do. Focus on what you've already done. Because if God loved you enough to send His only begotten Son to die to pay the penalty for your sins, then that alone should be enough to cast down any doubt, any dispersion about whether or not God loves you. If Jesus died for me, then I should be convinced that He loves me. So if you're here today and you're saved, would you come to the altar and just ask the Lord to remind you that in spite of what you've done, in spite of what's happened, He loves you. Would you come to this altar and ask the Lord to reassure you 
that he loves you so that you can learn to trust him in a greater way. If you're here today and you're lost, come. If you're here today and you're saved, come. And let's have a moment where we enjoy the love of God together. Go ahead.
Let's worship him for just a couple more minutes. They're finishing, getting ready, and then we're going to have a baptism. But The Bible says the reason we love God is because he loved us. And the more we think about his love, the more it generates our love for him. So if you would, if you're not praying, would you just stand to your feet and worship with us for a couple more minutes? listening to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more great messages, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music and leave us a rating and review while you're there. For more information, please visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash redemption ky.